Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Everyone, welcome back. We are still in the, you know, start of this new year. I don't know what I want to call it, honeymoon phase that uh, <laughs> everyone is hoping we're going to start off on, on a good foot, you know? Hopefully everyone is sticking to their resolutions. Oh man, do people still do that? I guess, you know, depending um, on where they're at, you can just start a resolution whenever I feel like. (laughs) 100%. I feel like the last few years I've set the bar pretty low to allow for success. Definitely. Well, I want to get into our guest today because we have a returning guest. So about a year ago, we had the director and his wife really co-stars because the real star is Emilio Olivier, if if we really want to put it that way. But from the documentary, Forget Me Not, Inclusion in the Classroom, we have Olivier back. Thank you so much for coming back onto our podcast. Oh, it's so nice to talk to you guys again. Yeah, I mean, we really just kind of want to see how it's been received. How is Emilio? That's where I want to start. How is Emilio doing? Oh, Emilio is doing great. I think, you know, we all experienced a a COVID slump when everyone was stuck at Mm -hmm. home. But this year he started kindergarten and he's in a general education class, inclusive class. And he is loving it. This week, I got word that he was the line leader and he's been doing an excellent job all week. (laughs) Oh, I love it. So we've been really happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to kind of give people a little bit of background. So we had you and your wife on last year and it just this like riveting documentary about, you know, seeking inclusion in the New York public school system. And you were really able, you know, you turn the cameras on yourselves along this journey, right? As early as for a lot of our clients as well, when there are diagnoses of intellectual disability starting as early as two and a half. Since that documentary, how has it been received? How, what, what's your general kind of consensus? Are you getting a lot of parents coming up to you, administrators? How has it been received? Yeah, the reaction so far has been a lot of thank yous, because I think a lot of people that have gone through this process mm-hmm. have, you know, haven't had a way to explain it to other people, find the documentary useful that way. And then we're getting a lot of people from the education field that have been sharing the film, asking if they can share the film, if they could set up screenings. And so there's really been a nice grassroots kind of effort around the film, which has been really exciting to see that people have been taking it and using it, you know, as a tool. And recently I went to a high school where for professional development, they wanted to do a screening in New York City. And the principal asked if I could come join them after the screening. And it it was just such an awesome experience to speak to educators in the field, you know, that are, are kind of on the other side of the table and so interested in learning about what it's like uh, as a parent or, you know, as the advocate of a child with a disability. So it's been really excellent so far. That's wonderful. We always like to hear that we're kind of spreading the word, spreading the message out to, you know, more people and that people are receiving it and, you know, are not, I guess, challenging the message, right? Like we're in this day and age where 
kind of, I think a lot of things get questioned. We have an older generation that is very difficult to kind of change their minds. And we have a younger generation maybe that is questioning things too much. We have social media and like all the idea of fake news. And there are people who are like, oh, we're becoming too liberal as a society. And, you know, we always worry about that when we're trying to spread this message of inclusivity and supporting others, right? That like, it doesn't get lost in all of that. Yeah, I think that's been, um, it's been really interesting to hear the reactions The you know, we have had people that had counterpoints. It's some parents still believe that a segregated setting is the best setting for their child. And, you know, to them, I say, you know, I, I kindly disagree for Emilio, right. but, you know, there's nothing that I'm going to say that can change their minds. So. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I was going to point that out and that, you know, this is your experience. And, and I had wondered if any administrators had come up and said, well, that's not how it is at my school, which fine, but <laughs> you can't unsee your truth, right? You lived it, you experienced it. Your wife has had a background, you know, in special education before. And so she was a bit more, you know, and we talked about it with her the last time, but yeah, I, you know, I was, I was wondering if with those counterpoints, you know, that is an experience that probably a very few percentage of our clients have of, hey, I want my child to be in a separate setting. They are going to get more services or, or whatever it is. And that may be the best decision for that family. But I think one of the things that kind of is woven through the, the documentary is the fact that like segregation shouldn't happen at two and a half. Right. And that's what you had seen with Emilio, correct? Like they wanted mm -hmm. to put him in a separate class, like right from the beginning, like no opportunity to be with general education peers whatsoever. Right. And yeah, that was just absolutely shocking to us because, you know, when Emilio was born, it's the one thing I wanted for him was to not be stuck in the shadows. Like I know so many other students had been in the past, you know, I probably said the story last time on the podcast about how I had never seen anyone with a disability while I went to school because they were all yeah. hidden from us. And right. I just didn't want that to happen for Emilio. And I still don't want that to happen for Emilio. Yeah. We have such a long standing history of that, of the segregation in our schools. And, you know, it's unfortunate that families who do share the perspective of why well, my child just needs more support. I think that stems from the unknown because they've never had the opportunity to experience it. Or if they have, you know, we've had clients who have come and the school district, whether it's through, you know, litigation or otherwise, the school says, fine, we'll place them in general education. And it's horrible, right? It doesn't work because we didn't come at it from a mindset of, supporting the student in the environment and really looking at it from a holistic approach. We are just throwing them in there, maybe giving them an aid and expecting everything to stay the same. Just the only difference is this child's in there. And I think that's where we, it becomes so difficult to integrate these kids, the older they get into a general education class, because we're not including them into the class. We're just trying to put them in there. And like, call it inclusion, but that's not inclusion. We really, you know, need to start from day one, you know, having teachers at a very young level, preschool, you know, level and kindergarten to really start the trend and get the other students in it. And so I think, you know, that's a big thing that we see with, with anyone who I guess is not so keen on inclusion because they've either never seen it or they've seen it not work because, and the supports weren't there because I've never seen a class that has put together, you know, all the right supports and done the work. 
done the collaboration and it not worked, I really have not seen it. Mm. I, you know, to that point, some of the most interesting questions I've been receiving from the film have been of parents with typically developing children, mm-hmm. or neurotypical children, just asking about how the class works. And, you know, and the first thing I say is that, well, generally these classes are like the inclusion classes that work well are better for everyone because they're yep. teaching mm-hmm. with so many different methods. You know, it's not just a teacher in front of a blackboard and there's more support in the classroom and, and everyone kind of benefits from that. But yeah, to your point, it takes a complete rethinking of how you teach a class. You can no longer just teach to this mythical average student. You really have to reach out to the margins. Absolutely. And I think we're, you know, I think more of the country saw a little bit of that with COVID, just how, you know, there isn't just one type of student. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of has assumed, I mean, for so long, and even just the average person, right? The average parent whose kids are doing okay, whether they have really good grades or they just have okay grades, you know, they always have this perspective of, well, there's just one type of student. And then flash forward to them having to actually teach their child and realizing, you know, especially like parents of multiples who realize, oh, wow, these kids do not, are not learning the same way. I think, you know, and we had high hopes that this would change things substantially in the school system because more people realized it. But I think the unfortunate part was everyone was in such a rush to go back to in-person that initial push for change kind of got lost in the, well, let's just get back. Let's just get back. I have to get back to my job. My kid needs to go back to school. Like we need to be back. We need to be back that nothing could really be done. I thought the same thing. I thought that after COVID, everyone would see kind of the malefactor of of segregation because every child was segregated to their own house Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know, we didn't really see any change, I guess. You know, what I like, and, you know, I understand that, you know, you didn't go into the depths of how a classroom would work, but, you know, you do offer a lot of solutions in the documentary, right, in the film, one of which is the Henderson School, which was so great to see, right, because, you know, it's a public school in Boston that is, like, full inclusion, And the way that they even talked about inclusion, it's something that I think your wife had touched on in the past with us is that, you know, it's a mindset, right? What inclusion is. And I thought that, you know, being able to kind of see, hey, this can work, you know, and this is a public school. It's not a, it's not a charter school. It's not a, it's not a private school. Is that something that you're kind of seeing in Emilio's like current classroom? Like, it's just like a mindset. Like, are you having to go and really make that mindset happen for the teachers or everybody? It seems like is on the same page. So far, our experience has been really great at his current school. He you know, the, for example, the first week, I think he had kind of a rough week just getting readjusted, mm-hmm. you know, going from preschool to kindergarten, bigger class. And longer uh, day, yes. Longer days, day, no nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no nap. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the his special education teacher from the class reached out to us and was like, can you share some things that motivates him? And the, my wife wrote, you know, a long letter of different methods that we use when you know and shared that with them and then we met with her but it's been it's just an exam one example of the kind of collaboration that's been happening at the school and i think they're 100 committed to making it work with emilio which has been really i don't want to say a blessing but it's been like 
Thank God, finally. <laughs> well, refreshing nonetheless. Like, refreshing, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. before that, it was just like a battle. And I think that that also is what is great about the film is that I think is probably 98% of the struggle the struggles that our clients, right? And it's not like our clients, you know, obviously we have a nonprofit. So a lot of the work that we do is is free work, a pro bono. And then we also provide sliding fee skills, which we call low bono. But, you know, I think what was so nice was that if I were a parent with a child with special needs, like it's so relatable, right? And it's immediately like they probably felt understood. So I'm sure you're getting a lot of that as well. Like this is how my life is, right? What would kind of be the biggest thing that you would want either neurotypical parents or even parents of neurodivergent kiddos to know? Like if you if you could, you know, whether it be like keep hanging in there or, you know, you got this, like, would you want them to know after seeing your film? Well, I think the first thing is that, you know, what we kind of we're at, like the beginning stages in the film where we're realizing that this is going to be a process that we have to go through every year. And Mm. we had to go through it last year. And it was the same thing. We had to push back and have several meetings. And but now we're in a good situation. And for this year, you know, and we'll see Mm -hmm. what happens next year. But to just realize that, like, there's a way to collaborate with the school districts, there's a way to work together. And ultimately, you have to trust your gut and mm-hmm. not be convinced otherwise. You know, I think being included in a class with one's peers is just a basic human right. And if you believe that, then you should continue to fight for that for your child. So just to not give up and trust your gut. I mean, that's the number one core thing because it's hard when you're in the thick of it, you know, it's emotional. It's very mm-hmm. emotional thinking that someone's telling your child that they don't belong with mm-hmm. the rest of the children yeah. um, at a very basic level. So advocates like yourselves and, and lawyers are, are super useful. We go in with an advocate. We still work with Sarah Joe, who's in the film. And she's been just such a huge help for us in the really dark moments. You know, she comes in and gives us a sense of positivity and like, we'll get through this. It might not be easy, but we'll get mm-hmm. through this together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do recommend not going at it alone, you know, and and finding that person that can help you through, you know, those difficult moments. There's just so much and it's so overwhelming, right? You know, you have to be an expert in inclusion. You have to be an expert in Down syndrome. You have to be an expert in the law. Like it's just too much, you know, it's, it's too much. You know, you're just trying to get through just every day, right? Uh, Just the regular stuff, which is and through a pandemic and all this other stuff that just would take down any other person. Right. But I love that because I, you know, it it really spoke to us at a core level. You know, we talk to our clients, we, we get to see inside of their lives in a different way than like an attorney might that's just doing, you know, personal injury or something like that. Right. Like you're, you're seeing one facet of their life, but we really are able to see, but to see it kind of play out and, you know, what happens behind closed doors, if you will, I think is what resonated with us. And I'm sure with anybody, whether they have a neurotypical, whether they have kids or even not, right? 
And so that's why I think, you know, you were getting in. We saw that you were at um, a screening was done at our annual conference that we have uh, via COPA. And that's what reminded us of uh, like wanting you to come back because we're like, oh, he made it to COPA. Like, that's so great because those are your people, right? Those are attorneys, advocates and parents, the Council of Attorneys, Advocates and Parents. And we were ecstatic to have been able to have the opportunity to talk to you before you got to COPA. And for us, that's a big deal. Anytime there's a, a speaker, it's, they're kind of like a rock star. So we were, we were so happy to see you there. And, and I hope that, you know, people continue to ask you for screeners. I hope that you are able to still meet with people because I like what you're doing. It, it really, it, it's starting the change, right? That Amanda and I, we can only do so much right in our area of the law. Um, but it really starts with parents like yourselves that are able to kind of show people, hey, this is the reality. We are in 2023 and this is still happening and it's unacceptable. So I just, we just wanted to thank you for coming on and, you know, sharing your story and for continuing to do what you are doing. I One of my last questions is going to be if you are working on anything kind of like a part two, potentially, <laughs> uh, or an update for everyone about Emilio. Yeah, as of right now, there's nothing concrete, you know, in the works for it. But yeah. uh, I continue to film Emilio. And, you know, even though these days he's a little more camera shy. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Yeah, but he, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I definitely want to follow up the project if it's not directly with Emilio somehow, because I think there's just, we just kind of touched the surface of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the film gets released out, it's, um, you know, it's available on on Amazon. It's mm-hmm. available for free on Tubi with advertising. So the film is very accessible. And I hope people um, share it with their friends of typically developing children. Cause you know, I think that if the film can kind of leave, you know, just the disabilities community and people from outside could see kind of the benefits of an inclusive class, I hope we can start a real movement. And the last thing I want to say, you know, from my last response is that, you know, everybody that fights for inclusion for their child, Mm -hmm. they're opening the door potentially to another child that comes after your child. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, even though it might be really difficult and really trying sometimes, that's the other thing is you have to remember that you're really making a difference for all the children that come after yours. So it's a fight, you know, as we say in the film, it's a fight worth fighting. And and I hope people continue to move forward with it. I love that. It definitely is a worth, a fight worth fighting. And I know sometimes it it feels like an uphill battle, but just chipping away and realizing it's a mindset, you know, if you can at least even get one person on that team to kind of understand and, and realize it and cut through the bureaucracy of it, you know, we've been able to see just great changes being made, even if it's just one person, right? So I think that that's excellent advice. And we really hope you listeners enjoyed this coming back of Olivier and please give our best to Emilio and your wife Hilda. And yeah, maybe uh, in another year, we'll have you on to kind of see if there's going to be a part two or what we can do to kind of still spread the message of Forget Me Not, this wonderful documentary. Thank you, Olivier. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on again. (laughs) All right. Okay, listeners, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.